0: And Get that pre-order in, and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Rose Podcast, coming at you with a solo episode where it's just moi. But even in saying that, I actually think of an English teacher that I had once who really, I got to say, was an, an asshole. However, I remember once I raised my hand at the back of the room, and this was a lesson worth that class in and of itself. And before I answered the question, I said, I just wanted to say, and the teacher said to me, don't ever start a sentence with that because you minimize everything you say after that So, you know what? She might have been a little hard on me. Actually, she was incredibly hard on me. However, that lesson in and of itself was a beautiful one. So, if you do start your sentences with just, or I just wanted to say, or it's just me, it's not just you. Bring all of you. Don't minimize yourself in your words prior to showing up or to expressing them. It's interesting because in doing that, We're trying to not take up space, not too much space, not be too much, not be too loud, not overwhelm someone protecting people from their own experience of us. But in that, we turn down our light, we turn down our shine, and we don't do any service to the world from that perspective. We don't do, we're such a disservice to the world, but also ourselves. And it's interesting because the whole premise behind that is, To not be that big because we're afraid if we are, we will, one, make people uncomfortable, but that will lead to likely experiencing rejection and abandonment. But by staying in a shrunken state, we are living in a state of rejection of our fullest self, of our fully expressed self. And it doesn't, you know, I I don't want to minimize where that comes from because the pathology is usually back to our childhood or our culture or society and the lessons we've been taught about wherever our intersections are of gender, race, sexuality, all those things. And, you know, to recognize that the world needs you fully alive. It needs you open. And it's when we become fully self-expressed, even if it makes others uncomfortable, It is in that discomfort for themselves that they realize they are underexpressed. It's an interesting paradox, right? To think that a fully expressed self actually may equal that we will be rejected by someone. But in that space of them rejecting us, they are also invited to the space of discovering more of themselves. I really feel we only... Fear a fully expressed other when we are are minimizing our own voice. When we're wearing a mask, when someone takes their mask off, it's scary. So we are like, put the mask back on. I thought we're all part of a show. And I remember listening to a talk, a lecture from Alan Watts, and he talked about the Greek theater having a list of personas, which was a list of characters that were played in a persona means the we- the mask we wear, our personality. It's so interesting how words work, isn't it? And so I think of what leads us to turn ourselves down and what leads us to not want to love fully open anymore, and that's because we've been hurt. And this has been something that I've been wanting to share, is this recognition. You know, Previously, I've done an episode that's called Your Heart's Not Broken, It's Open, and it was really about my relationship coming to a close last year, which of course has uh, we've gotten back together and Kai is gonna be coming on the podcast to talk about that. So make sure you subscribe so you can get a notification about that one because I'm sure you're interested or maybe you're not. Hey, I'm not insulted if you're not. Um, but when I went through that breakup, I remember thinking to myself, my heart's not broken, it's open because I was feeling so much pain. I was feeling all of that, but in it, recognizing the love that was there, that the pain in and of itself was the evidence that love existed. And I think that's such an interesting thing about heartbreak is that we then make it, I don't ever want to love again because love fucked me over, love hurt me. I don't want to do that because love equals pain. Love doesn't exist. But the very evidence that love exists is the evidence we're using to prove that it doesn't. And so there's this interesting paradox, again, that the deeper you love, the more you are signing a contract that you are open to pain. And so you can't go deeper in the love direction if you're not willing to excavate and explore what it will be like to lose them. And that's the interesting thing when you say, I love you, and you look at someone and you touch each other and you feel their heart and your heart, you are feeling what it might be like to lose them. And sometimes we hit that upper limit because we don't think we have the capacity because we closed our heart long ago and we have all these ways of preventing ourselves from getting hurt by choosing people who are unavailable or only having friends with benefits and none of that is a judgment on that but we stay in these parameters where we control the depth of intimacy and maybe we don't date people who challenge us who could love us because that in and of itself is a strategy to never actually experience that pain again full level of the pain. So we might be in a comfortable level of pain, but we know we can tolerate that. We know that we can live with a certain level of depth. You know, I was thinking about this the other day that we close our hearts because we're afraid they're going to get broken, but it is a closed heart that is broken. That your heart has to stay broken to be in a closed state. And so, of course, the question always is, and it's a scary one, and I would never have been able to say, yes, I can, yes, I can when I was younger, because I didn't know. But the question is, can you stay open when you have every reason to close it? And this pertains to whether you're single or in a relationship, because if you're in a relationship and you're hitting the upper limits or you're losing attraction with your partner or there's the connection's gone and all these things, it's like, Go to your happy price, price line. It's like when infidelity occurs, we go somewhere else to seek the exhilaration because we don't like the mirror of what our relationship is providing for us. And it's easier to go outside than to dive within. And I'm, you know, there's many pathologies for infidelity, but one of them is we can't take the mirror of what we're seeing. We can't take that there's feedback being given to us that we're not showing up. So I'd rather not hear about that. I'd rather go to where I can get a little blip of orgasmic mess and not pay attention to the truth that I'm not showing up. And so amidst heartbreak, you know, when you think about your younger years and you've been heartbroken and you've been hurt and maybe you've hurt someone. And so your upper limit is also you don't want to get too close to people because you have this idea that you hurt people. And maybe that's been true, but the more important inquiry is how do I open my heart and keep a space where I can feel safe within myself? How do I develop the boundaries and the language to be able to trust myself as I open it? How do I learn from the lesson of what closed it? Because the lesson of what closed it is actually the evidence of the information and the behaviors that are required for you to protect yourself and to honor yourself as you open it. You know, that's really the invitation to go into yourself and do the work. You know, what I used to use as a way to close my heart was, because, you know, when I went through a breakup at 19, I didn't feel like I had the capacity to hold that type of pain anymore. I, I didn't even sit within the processing of it. And, you know, I've said before that, it was this last break breakup of my relationship that there was so much exploring of old pain that was showing up in this new pain, that stuff that I'd never really fully dealt with. You know, I didn't have alcohol to numb, and I didn't use escape mechanisms to get away from myself. I wanted to stay in the space of feeling it all. There was so much beauty in that. You know, when I was 19, I didn't have those tools and I wasn't educated on it. And there weren't, you know, uh, readily available opportunities to learn how do you keep your heart open as it breaks. And, you know, you do that with community. You do that by also going within. And, you know, I really, the idea of the dark night of the soul, which is a spiritual um, term, that you go into the pain and what you think will destroy you, brings you into this deeper space that that you never thought you could survive. Like, I never thought I could hold the capacity of what I held. And it wasn't without a lot of hard moments of deep breaths, of saying to a friend, I need you right now. And I just needed them in the room. I just needed them in the place I was staying. I just needed them around. And it's not to say that there isn't a role for... um uh, moments of distraction like some netflix to help get you through that some chocolate some it's just don't make that home allow that to rebuild your strength use exercise you know it's in the moments of transition it's the things that keep us together and remind us of ourselves and our and our capacity that we get rid of, you know, the things like meditation and exercise and nutritious foods and all those things, they go out the window as things transition. And they're actually the things we need most, which I don't know why that's true, but it's, inter- it's interesting, right? Because they're the things that ground us. And it's almost like we don't want to be grounded in that moment because then we have to feel so much of it. And I've realized that it is in that pain that I was. It it was in that pain that there were younger versions of me that I needed to meet and get to know and say, hey, I left you here long ago, come with me. And that's what really got me to a place where I could show up in relationship differently. You know, I get asked a lot, like, did you and Kai plan on getting back together? Uh, How did you do that? You know, things like that. And to be honest, it's, it's the wrong question. How do you get back together? It's how do you let the relationship go? Because for me, I didn't plan on getting back together. It didn't matter if it was Kai that came into my future. It just mattered that it was someone who could show up in the way that I needed and could I show up in the way I needed to. And so I've said this before as well, which is don't get back together, get together moving forward, get together in a space where you're meeting them on the path and it won't matter who it is because you'll be so ingrained in your growth and your evolution that if someone's not showing up as the standards of what you need or what you want, they won't even be on your radar. They might knock on the door, but you'll say, hey, this is what we're accepting now from ourselves and from others. And it is a beautiful, it is a beautiful experience that it has been Kai, I'm so grateful for that. Because in the time we were apart, she did incredible personal work and went through incredible transformation, as did I. And, you know, there was so much love there. And, you know, when I was younger, I didn't process breakups in the same way with grace, with compassion. I was obsessed over their behaviors and their choices and, oh, they were afraid of love or they were this or they were that. I made it about them. They're missing out. They don't see what they're missing, you know, as opposed to like looking, how am I not showing up for myself? Where did I abandon myself? Where am I not having conversations? What happens if someone is just not ready for what I want? And That's been true in the past about me. So why, when it's about them, can I not meet it with grace the way I wished I was met with grace in the past? And of course, this is what life teaches us. This is why we relate. This is why we go through relationships, is to learn, is to figure out how can I do this thing better. And so if you're going through relational things and you're not learning from them, you're wasting really awesome opportunities to figure out how you can be a better version of yourself. You know, we get quite obsessed with how our partners can show up better, how they're not doing this or that or that. And in doing that, we do two things. One, we miss how we could show up better. And two, we're also missing the ways in which they show up. We lead with criticisms. And as they say, with behind every criticism is a desired behavior. And so why don't we lead with those things, you know? There's some really interesting research done by the Gottmans that looked at relationship couples that were newlyweds, came in and spent some time uh, in their love lab. And they, it was like a bed and breakfast overlooking, I believe, like Washington. And they recorded all their conversations. And then they did a follow-up with those couples. I believe it was six years later. Anyways, what they saw was that it was couples that had above a five to one positive to negative ratio that stayed together, below five to one, five positive interactions to every one negative. Below five to one ended in divorce. Above five to one, successful relationship. Uh, Relational masters were around seven or eight to one. As soon as you get too high though, like 13 to one, you start to lose credibility because it's a bit Pollyanna. We're not grounded in actual reality. Like we're too positive that it becomes contrived. And so maybe relationships can be as simple as math. You know, so you think about your interactions with your children or your parents or your brothers and sisters or your colleagues or your partners. And you think, like, wait, what is my ratio if I think about it? Am I connecting with them via negativity? What happens if I was to up this ratio above five to one? And you'll notice that your relationships change. Like, I remember with one of my friends, often when I would speak to him, I would be like, hey, why haven't you done that yet? Hey, have you noticed this? And really, from my, you know, Righteous perspective. I wanted to help him. I wanted him to pursue his passions that he was so good at. And I realized I was always leading with a criticism. And when I started to say, Hey, I noticed you did that. Oh, hey, I did. And I noticed when I did the math, I started to raise the ratio. And all of a sudden, one day he called me and was like, Hey, can I get some relationship advice? And I was like, Whoa, this has never happened. So think about how math can change your relationships, right? Whoever knew math. I was good at math as a kid, but certainly was never going to be my life. But it does serve us many uh, functions. So ultimately, this conversation, though, is about leading with that open heart, being able, because it takes an open heart in order to lead with the positive. It takes, and notice when you're connecting via the positive, you relax more too, because you're not trying to get an expectation met. And this is not about letting go of expectations or standards or not still having uh, feedback for your partner. It's about don't forget about the good stuff too. Don't forget about building on the good. That's what builds beautiful foundations in relationship to be built on a culture of respect and appreciation. As soon as respect goes out the door, everything goes. And so how do you bring respect back to your relationship? Which really means you have to find it within yourself too. And you're not going to respect yourself if all you're bringing is negativity. And you're not going to respect yourself if you're staying in relationships that are at a dead end, or you're not putting in the work in them, or you're giving up, you know, like it's all a subjective experience. But you can ask yourself, how do I not respect myself right now? What choices am I making in my life that actually communicate disrespect to myself? And so on a last note, you know, these are all just random thoughts that have been going through my mind. And I know I haven't done a solo episode in a long time. And that's for a few reasons. One, I'm not quite, I'm learning how to say no to overwhelm to too many things because I feel so stretched. And then I end up not as present with the people I really care about, you know, with, and I end up with friends and family not feeling as prioritized or as important in my life. And, you know, ultimately when you say yes to everything, little bits of you get spread out. And that is a disservice both to you, the listener, because you don't get this now fully rejuvenated version of me. You know, I never want my work to feel like work. But when it starts to, I know that I need to say no and go a bit into a cocoon and find some space for me. And when I am overextended, it leaves me feeling depleted. And then I don't have space for the things that I love that fill me up. And it's so easy to feel so spread thin. It's so easy to feel with an open heart, like you're feeling the suffering of the world. Because if your heart is open in this world, there's no way you can't feel it. And so if you're feeling anxiety, pain, grief, anger, it means your heart's working. It means that you're human. It means that you're connected. And we don't want to turn that off. We need to collectively band together in community to support one another. And so, you know, in this moment, this is also an invitation to who can you reach out to and say, hey, how can I be of service to you? How can I support you? Or, hey, what I really need right now is this. And if someone says they can't give it to you, don't make it about you. Because the evidence of you loving yourself is in the request, not in the response to the request. So move on to the next person. So I've been in a state of real busyness, um, which is not busyness so that I feel good about myself, (laughs) like actual busyness, because we just launched... Um, the new app Mind M I N E apostrophe D, and that is about building community. I want there to be a social media platform where you go and you feel better about yourself, not worse. Where you can go and learn about all the things we need in order. You know, gosh, I think when I was nineteen, if there was something I could have learned about keeping an open heart and not reaching for alcohol and partying to numb, and not trying to seek affection and and sex in order to feel better about myself and then not letting people in because I was so afraid of actually being loved and being seen. You know, I was thinking about this this week, that the term gaslighting didn't exist when I was in my 20s. Gosh, but if it had, I certainly did gaslight my girlfriend sometimes. You know, I remember I was in sales, so I knew how to, you know, flip words around and do those things. And really it was because I was so afraid of being wrong and being vulnerable. And I didn't know that at the time, that I was so fragile. And you know, when we are not standing on a foundation of self-worth, it's hard to receive feedback. It's hard to navigate conflict safely, like in a loving way, because we're trying to protect ourselves from being wrong. So then we flip it on them. And that's what I did. I remember my girlfriend saying to me at that time, That how come when I come to you with something, I'm the one who feels like I did something wrong. And so you live and you learn, and it's with great humility and a healthy level of shame that I say I should have done better. And in the should have done better, there's a commitment that I am doing better now. I will learn from that moment. And I have learned from that moment. You know, I remember really battling this reputation let's call it I was a reputation that I was a player and you know the egotistical male part of me and I'm gonna do a podcast episode of solo one on masculinity soon because that's been brewing up for me and I'm excited to talk to you about it but that egoist part of me, was sort of proud of that title because it meant I was charming and attractive and unavailable and mysterious, and I'm articulating it now, and, and this is based on my memory of myself. I might have some inaccuracy here, and there's some shame telling you this. But there's freedom in telling you this too because it's sort of taking that part of me out of a box that had some sort of arrogant pride to that and saying you didn't mean to You showed up that way because you were hurting. It was because you were afraid. It's because you hadn't processed your hurt and your pain and your loss from breakups and betrayals. And you know that saying that hurt people hurt people. Man, it's so hard to let people close when you've experienced betrayal and hurt and When you've even betrayed and hurt other people because you know we think closeness will bring that part of me or closeness will make me betray myself and it was only really through the recognition of who do i want to be and how do i want to be remembered what do i want this life to mean when we think our life is just about making money and being a good provider or being a great parent or whatever it is which is not i'm not minimizing any of those things But when our goals in our life are set on outcomes, then it doesn't actually affect the values with which we might live by. And what I mean is we might try to achieve that outcome at the cost of things. And it was when I had the recognition that the legacy I wanted to leave, which wasn't I had to have a big legacy or that it needed a famous legacy. I just mean literally the memory of Mark Groves. What would my eulogy be like? It was the recognition that I wanted to leave a legacy where I had integrity and I stood for things that mattered. And so the real question for you is, what legacy do you wanna leave? And, And make that legacy about your values about the character that you're going to be remembered for. And if currently the choices in life you're living don't align with the character and values that you hope to leave as a legacy, it is in any moment you can turn that around. You can claim and 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 repair the ways in which you haven't, and and that shows character, right? Resilience, humility to turn around and say, I did was I was doing the best I could then, but now I know there's better available. And so it's in the recognition of that. And then the desire and the intention to live with that. And so you might ask yourself in every moment that you're making a decision, is this in alignment with the legacy I want to leave? Is this in alignment with the integrity that I want to live by? Is this what I want to teach other people through my actions? What choice is courageous versus safe? And you begin to align yourself with that. And that's when you align yourself with soul. That's when you rejoin yourself because inside that that pathway back to character, to integrity, is is an opportunity to reunite with yourself. No one wishes to be bad or to hurt people or to do any of that. And you might say, oh, no, but there's always exceptions and there's psychopaths and there are all those... Yeah, we're not, we're not going to spend our energy trying to convince people who don't want to change. So if you're listening and you're like, I'm leaving some shit on the table, I'm not living as the best version of myself. I'm ready to make, you know, to crush this. I'm ready to change. I'm ready to step into my fullest expressed self. I'm ready to step into my integrity. I'm ready. Well, when? Now. Now. And so write out your top three values that you want to live by, and then you do an audit of your life. Where are you not in alignment with those values? What would it look like if you were, if you wrote out your perfect day? What would your perfect day look like aligned with your values and in integrity with what you want to create? And then how do you keep your word with that? What would that look like? We're always just a couple decisions, sometimes major decisions away from rejoining ourselves but we can clean our lives up quickly if we want to. It requires courage, and it requires humility, and it requires a desire to be better. You know, there's that saying that um, we change when two things occur. One, when we learn so much that we have to, and two, when it hurts so much that we have to. I actually don't know that that's necessarily true. I think that we often wait For it to hurt so much that we have to. And I I started to make this new goal, which was don't wait till you have to do it because you choose to. Because when you wait till you have to, yes, the change still occurs, but when you do it because you choose to, it's empowering. Both are empowering, but the when you choose to before the rock bottom, before the space below, before the pain, before the cosmic two by four, you know it's coming. So you step out of the way with a new, grown, more mature, more adulting version of yourself and you're crushing it. And, you know, I never went into this solo episode with some intention of what I was going to say. I wrote down what I want to talk about, which was the broken heart um, still being closed. And then we end up here. And that's just the trust of the flow of how it goes. So I invite you to trust the flow. I'm reading The Surrender Experiment right now and it is a fantastic book. So if you want to learn more about surrendering and stepping into that space of alignment, it's it's a beautiful story. So with all that said, I leave you with so much love and so much appreciation. Thank you for supporting this podcast and and throughout this year of crazy, you know, last year it's been a year since Kai and I broke up and and we reunited and sort of explored things sort of gently and officially came uh, out to the public as being together in September. And there's a lot of questions about that. And I'm going to, we're going to share that story and more about our breakup. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful for you, for this opportunity to be here on this planet at this time, having these conversations and just to have the platform to do this. I mean, it's such a honor. And, you know, 19-year-old me would have never imagined we'd be doing this, talking about that pain and what we've learned from it. And selling out my player self, she. Had, I remember listening to that song, uh, I Don't Want to Be a Player No More. Come on, what a bad song. But, man, I used to listen to that. Remember "Return of the Mac"? I used to sing "Return of the Mark" after my breakup when I was in, in uh, when I was nineteen or eighteen. Oh man! Don't we just look at younger versions of ourselves and say, "God bless your heart," you know? And you just got to look at it with such love. Thank God I didn't have TikTok and shit recording my childhood and my teens and all that shit. But if you do now, hey. Just be mindful of what you record (laughs) and offer yourself grace. All the younger versions of you who listened to bad music and marinated a little too long in heartbreak and didn't let yourself back into the game. I was on a Mind Live the other day and a woman said to me that she hadn't dated in five years and I'm like, there's no reason to punish yourself or to believe that you can't develop the tools to get back into it. To starve ourselves of connection as a way of avoiding pain is to live in the pain of not experiencing connection. And so it is my ask of you that you lean into opening your heart. And again, it doesn't matter your relationship status. It's how can you open it further? How can you find grace? How can you communicate better? How can you love more? How can you bring more courage to your relationship? How can you show appreciation? How can you do a little math and maybe change your life? It's a gift to all of us when you do. Much love.